And uh, Strider had asked for prayer, so why don't we pray? Lord, thank you for Strider, for his many years of faithful service with our students. And Lord, we pray that you would guide through uh, our interim and in, in finding someone who, who would love our students and continue to work with our student ministry. Lord, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would fall fresh on Strider and equip him for this new position and that you might use him uh, to help us as a church bear more fruit for your glory. We're here to hear your word, and as we open your word, Holy Spirit, fall fresh. Forgive the one who speaks, for his sins are many, and teach us. Teach us. Help us to all fall more in love with Jesus through this time with you and in your word. And Lord, we pray for revival. Uh, our country is broken, and, and we're broken, and, and we need revival, and our country needs a spiritual awakening. Will you not yourself revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Holy Spirit, fall fresh. May we leave here today rejoicing that we know you. And may we share and spread that joy throughout our community. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I love competition because you see people underneath pressure. And if someone said, Smiley, what is your favorite competitor of all times? It might surprise you, it was a diver named Greg Leganus. It was back in the 18... 18, wow. <laughs> That's what I didn't want to say, in the 1980s. In a couple of Olympics, when he needed to have a perfect dive, he nailed it. And I saw him interviewed, and someone said, how did you handle the pressure? How did you do such an amazing job? And you know what he said? I knew my mother loved me. And I knew that if I did a belly flop, her love for me would be unchanging. And it was the unconditional love of his mother that freed him to be an amazing competitor. And when I heard that, I thought, that's my story. That's my story. All my life, I wanted to be loved but I always felt like I had to earn that love. And then someone loved me enough to share the gospel with me. And I realized Jesus loved me. And when I received him as my Savior and Lord, that changed everything to follow someone that I knew that if I did a belly flop, his love for me would be unchanging. And what I've experienced, I want you to experience. And that's what we're going to be learning about today. The point of today's message is how the gospel frees us to follow Jesus. Would you say that with me? The gospel frees us to follow Jesus. You ever, you ever just long to follow Jesus more fully? Listen, I want to help you get there today, that the gospel frees us to follow Jesus would you like a greater boldness in being able to, to share your faith with others? Would you like that? I want to help you get there. The gospel frees us to follow Jesus. Would you like to be able to make disciples and really make a difference in the life of someone else? I want to help you get there today. The gospel frees us. The gospel frees us to follow Jesus. If you're new, welcome. We're so glad you're here. And uh, 
we're walking through a book in the Bible called Colossians, and it's all about Jesus. And if you're here today and you'd like to know Jesus, come back next week because week by week we're opening up God's Word and we're coming and seeing Jesus together. And, and so today we're in Colossians chapter 2. In Colossians 2, verse 16, Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink, or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Now notice verse 16 starts with therefore, and I've taught you when you see a therefore, you ask a question, right? What is that therefore therefore? Because this connects to what came first. And, and so last week Strider was teaching us, right? He was teaching us about Jesus and how Jesus frees us, how he frees us from sin and death and the devil. He was sharing what the gospel really is about, how Jesus frees us. And this week we're building on that, building on that, that the gospel frees us to follow Jesus. And what is the gospel? Often at Good News, we, we like to talk about the naked gospel, and we say the gospel is that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And you say, well, Smiley, I've heard that. Yeah, I want you to know that that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And the reason I want you to know that is because false teachers come along and teach something different. False teachers then, here's what they were saying then. Believing in Jesus, that's important. That's important, but it's not enough. So what they were saying is in addition to believing in Jesus, you, you needed to follow the dietary laws of the Old Testament and keep all the festivals. Uh, you, you need to be circumcised in addition to believing in Jesus, and, and you need to follow the dietary laws, and, and you need to keep the festivals. What they were basically saying is to be a real Christian, to be a real Christian, you need to believe in Jesus and become a Jew. And aren't there people like that today? I mean, yeah, believing in Jesus is, is important, but it's not enough. And as soon as you believe in Jesus, here's all the rules. Here's the things that you can't do, and here's the things you must do to be a real Christian. And so the reason I want you to hear that Jesus plus nothing equals everything is so when you hear someone trying to add something to Jesus, you know that's a false teaching because you know the gospel, right? Now, I want you to notice in verse 17 two words, shadow and substance, okay? That's really important. What we're going to learn is that the Old Testament had the shadow. It pointed to the New Testament and in the New Testament, we have the substance, the substance. So I want to take you with me into my small group. Uh, last Sunday night, uh, we're in small group, and uh, this guy says, a man there says, weren't people in the Old Testament saved by keeping the law? That was his question. So you're leading the small group, and someone says to you, weren't people in the Old Testament saved by keeping the law? What would you say? Uh, what I said was, well, um, how well would you have to keep the law to be saved? And what do you think he said? Never thought about it. Never thought about it. So what I did then, I'm going to do today, is I'm going to put on my I love theology hat. <laughs> I do love theology because this man was confused. And many of us are confused. And theology helps us to follow Jesus. And so when I put on my theology hat, it means... You have to stay awake because this is a little more deep than what we usually do. So pay attention. And if you'll stay with me for a little bit, you'll be glad you did because I'll clarify a lot of your thinking. 
Listen, so I shared with him and with our small group last Sunday night, listen, the Bible is one story from beginning to end. It's one story. It's about a seeking and saving Savior. You remember our first parents, right? Adam and Eve, you remember them? And Adam and Eve, what they, they, they sinned against God, right? And what did they do after they sinned? They did what they, they hid, right? And so right there in Genesis 3, we see a seeking and saving Savior. Man is hiding. Man isn't seeking for God. God is seeking for hiding sinners. That's the first time we see the gospel in the Bible. Then in Genesis 3, the first time the gospel is proclaimed, we see. Genesis 3.15. If, if you're ever on a trivia show and they ask you, where's the gospel preached the first time? It's Genesis 3.15, okay? So God spoke to Adam and Eve and said, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. So God told Adam and Eve that one day the Savior would be born of a woman. And the Savior would come into the world, and the devil would deal a painful blow to him, but Jesus would deal a fatal blow to Satan by crushing his head. So we see the gospel in Genesis 3. God is seeking sinners. We see the gospel preached. And then one more time in Genesis 3, we see the gospel. You remember Adam and Eve, they figured out they were naked, so they covered themselves with fig leaves, right? <laughs> so in Genesis 3, verse 21, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. So God took an animal and shed blood. What do you think he was pointing to? That one day our Savior would, what, would shed his blood for us. And then God took the skins from the animal and clothed Adam and Eve with it. And that was pointing to one day Jesus, when we believed in him, would clothe us in his righteousness. Listen, the whole Bible is it's one story about a seeking and saving Savior. A few chapters later in Genesis, we get to Genesis chapter 12. Once again, man's not seeking for God, but God is seeking and saving sinners. So he finds a man named Abram that we know as Abraham. And in Genesis 12, here's what God said, And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. And I, do you notice how God's saying, I will do this and I will do that? That's the gospel, isn't it? I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Abraham, one of your descendants will be the Savior, and he will bring salvation to all the nations. So the gospel was preached to Abraham. So hundreds of years before the law was given, how was Abraham saved? Well, in Genesis 15, the Bible tells us. In Genesis 15, verse 6, then he, what? Help me, he. You guys there, he? He believed, thank you. Then he believed in the Lord and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. So when Abraham believed God's promise of a Savior who would come, his sins were forgiven and he was clothed in Christ's righteousness, just like we saw back in Genesis 3. So we come to the New Testament and we get to Galatians chapter 3, verse 6. Even so, Abraham believed God. He didn't work 
He didn't keep the law to earn God's favor. He believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. All who share Abraham's faith, they're his sons. The scripture for seeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. I love theology and I love the Bible. Because God's word and God are so closely connected that here it speaks of the Bible as though the Bible were God. Did you see that? The scriptures. The scriptures for seeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. The gospel was preached to Abraham saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham the believer. So, in the Old Testament, believers heard the promise of a Savior who was coming, and they looked ahead to when that Savior came and put their faith, and they were saved through their faith. Just like we in the New Testament, we look back to when Jesus came and died and rose for us, and we put our faith in Jesus, and we're saved through our faith. The Bible is one story of gospel from beginning to end. It, but listen, that, that one gospel, that one covenant of grace, was administered differently. It was administered under the law in the Old Testament and under the gospel in the New Testament, under the law in the Old and, and the gospel in the New. Stay with me, stay with me. But when you hear the word law, when you hear the word law, I want you to understand, first of all, the first five books in the Bible are called the law. The law of Moses. So the first five books are called the law. So there's the law, and then within the law, within those first five books, there's three kinds of law. There's three kinds of law. And my numbering system here is very flawed because PowerPoint doesn't like numbers. But there's the ceremonial law. There's the ceremonial law. That's what's being spoken of here in Colossians. Um, someone don't let anyone act as your judge in regard to food or drink. All the dietary laws in the Old Testament or respect to a festival or new moon, all the different festivals and feasts in the Old Testament, those are all the ceremonial laws, the dietary law, the feast, the animals that were sacrificed. They all pointed to Jesus. They all pointed to Jesus. And when Jesus came and fulfilled them, that's why we no longer keep the ceremonial laws because when we have him, we don't need them. And that's what verse 17 says, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. We don't keep the ceremonial laws because when we have him, we don't need them. Now, the second kind of law that we find uh, in the Old Testament is civic laws. Civic laws, Israel was a nation. Israel was a nation. Israel was a theocracy. And so there were civic laws that if someone murders someone, this is how they should be penalized. If someone robbed someone, this is what you do. They were given laws just like we have laws in our countries. But we are not Israel, and so God's civic laws do not directly apply to us. But they are the laws that God gave a nation, and there's much we can learn from them. Matter of fact, did you know that our founding fathers, their most quoted book was the book of Deuteronomy? The book they quoted more than every other book was Deuteronomy because they believed if God gave Israel laws, perhaps we should pay attention to that too. 
So there were ceremonial laws fulfilled in Christ. We don't keep them. There were civic laws given to Israel that we don't directly apply to us, but we can learn from. And then there was the moral law. The moral law expressed in the Ten Commandments and, and God's moral law, right and wrong, doesn't change. Okay, little review, a lot of theology. If you stay with me, you'll be glad you did. The Bible is, is one story. It's all about a seeking and saving Savior. Under the Old Testament, there were three kinds of law. There was the, the ceremonial law fulfilled in Christ, the civic law applied to Israel, not directly to us, and then there was the moral law. Okay, now... Now we're in the New Testament underneath the gospel. And uh, well, let me go back to the, the moral law. There's three uses of the moral law in the New Testament. Three uses of the moral law uh, in the New Testament. The first use of the moral law is a tutor to lead us to faith in Christ. Uh, the, the purpose of God's moral law is to bring us to Christ. Let me show you that in Galatians 3... Verse 24, therefore the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. When we look at the Ten Commandments, we go, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. I need a Savior. That's how the law is our tutor that leads us to faith in Christ. When I'm witnessing to someone and I ask them, why should God let you into heaven? And they say, I'm a really good person. Know what I do? I go to the law. Did you ever disobey your parents? Ever? Have you ever stolen anything? Have you ever told a lie? When you expose people to the law, they say, wow, I'm in big trouble. I need a savior. Um, we see the same thing in Romans chapter 3. Verse 19, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified uh, in his sight for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Once we know the Ten Commandments, we can't say, I, I didn't know that uh, it was wrong to not honor my father and mother. I, I didn't know it was, it, that it wasn't wrong to steal. I didn't know, we do know, because God gave us the law to expose our sin so that we would run to Jesus and say, Jesus, save us. The second use of the, of the moral law is after the law helps bring us to Christ, it shows us the beautiful life. The Ten Commandments show us the way life is meant to be lived. Um, let me show you that in, in Exodus chapter 20. By the way, that's the first time the Ten Commandments are given are in Exodus 20. You know where else they're, they're, they are? They're in, they're in Deuteronomy 5, okay? But, but notice in Exodus 1, this is so good. Then God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Now notice, first God saves them. First God rescues them. Then he gives them the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. Now, this is important. Israel were slaves in Egypt. God didn't go to Egypt, give them the Ten Commandments, and say, if you keep these commandments really well, then I'll lead you out of your bondage. He didn't do that, did he? He did what first? He went and he, he rescued them. He saved them. He set them free. 
And now he gives them the Ten Commandments. When you go into the promised land, these commandments would bring about the beautiful life. This is how life is meant to be lived. Um, by the way, how many people have kept the Ten Commandments? How many? One. Wasn't it Jesus? And didn't he live the beautiful life? If you wondered, what would it look like to keep the commandments? What would it look like to honor your father and mother? Look at Jesus, he did. What would it look like for a man to treat a woman the way that a man ought to treat a woman? Look at Jesus, he shows us how. What would it look like to not steal or not bear false witness? Look at Jesus and we see the way life is meant to be lived. I mean, who wouldn't want to live in a community where God was first? Wouldn't that be beautiful? Who wouldn't want to live in a land where, where kids honored their father and mother? Who wouldn't want to live in a land where, where women could walk down the street any time, day or night, and not be raped? Who wouldn't want to live there? Who wouldn't want to live in a community where nobody locked their doors because nobody stole anything? Oh, the Ten Commandments reveal the beautiful life, the way life is meant to be lived. So someone says, well, Smiley, is it a good thing to keep the Ten Commandments? How would you answer that? You said yes. Well, I would say, well, depends. What? That if you are working really hard to keep God's commandments so God would love you, that would not be a good thing. But if you're blown away that God loves you and you love Jesus and you see how he lived the beautiful life and you want to follow him, Yes, that would be a beautiful thing. And that's how the gospel frees us. The gospel frees us to follow Jesus. Listen to how it's described. Listen to how the gospel brings about obedience in 1 John 5, 3. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. We love him. He lived a beautiful life. We want to follow him. So the first use to the moral law is the moral law shows us our sin that we would run to Jesus and say, save us. Once we meet Jesus, uh, then the, the, the law shows us how to live the beautiful life. And then the third use, the third use of the moral law is for the common good. It's good for society when societies know the Ten Commandments. That's why they used to put them on classroom walls. It didn't save people, but it gave people a good definition of, of right and wrong. Recently, I was in the neighborhood that I grew up in, and I thought of all my neighbors. And if you'd ask any of my neighbors back when dinosaurs roamed the planet, what is right and wrong? You know what all my neighbors would have said? The Ten Commandments. All my neighbors would have said the Ten Commandments when I was a kid rightly defined for us right and wrong. Did all of my neighbors have saving faith in Jesus Christ? No. But one thing they all agreed on was what? They agreed on what was right and wrong based on God's moral law. If you want to know the common good of, of the Ten Commandments, read Martin Luther King Jr.'s letter from a Birmingham jail. Go home today, just Google his letter and read it, and you'll see the common good of, of God's moral law. Then Martin Luther King Jr. was criticized for encouraging civil disobedience. And here's what he said. There's two kinds of human laws. There's just human laws and there's unjust human laws. 
And he said, just human laws are based on God's divine law. And I would never encourage anyone to disobey a just human law. But he said, unjust human laws are not based on God's law and sometimes contradict them. And that's what I'm encouraging people to do is to disobey laws that, are, that contradict God's moral law. I mean, if you're a Christian like me, the reason I don't murder someone isn't because the civil government says don't do it. It's because what? God says don't do it, right? And the reason that I don't steal is not because it's against the law. It's because God said don't steal. And so human laws are based on God's divine law. Ah. So we did a lot of theology there, okay? We saw how the Bible from beginning to end, it's, it's one story. That, that people have always been saved by faith. In the Old Testament, it was administered under the law and now the gospel. And, and we learn that there's three kinds of law, right? There's ceremonial and civic and, and moral. And then we saw three uses of the moral law. Um, it leads us to Christ. It's our tutor. It shows the beautiful life and there's a common good. Whew. You have to pay a lot of money in seminary for that, okay? Now let's go back to the passage now, okay? Verse 18, let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of the angels, taking his stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the entire body being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments grows with a growth which is from God. Now the first thing he said is the false teachers said it was, it was Jesus plus, really becoming a Jew equals everything. Now it's saying to be a real Christian, to be a, a good Christian, it's Jesus plus these experiences. If you want to be a real Christian, it's Jesus plus these experiences. That's what makes for a real Christian. And, and aren't there people like that today who want to come to us and say, believing in Jesus is great, but in addition to Jesus, you need these other experiences. And Paul is saying, no, no, no. Hang on to Jesus, hang on to Jesus, that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus is the head, Jesus directs, Jesus gives power. Verse 20, if you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourselves to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with use? in accordance with, <clears throat> accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. These are matters which, which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. Now, I want you to see the word religion. See the word religion? Religion is spelled D-O. It's spelled do. How do you have an ear for religion when it's all about what you need to do? These are the things you need to do. Uh, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. That's religion. It's about what we do because we're trying to earn God's favor. But the gospel, the gospel is spelled D-O-N-E, that Jesus did it all so we could have it all. 
Listen, when the Gospels preach, it's about exalting Jesus and what he's done for us, not spending all the time talking about what we do for him. Isn't that what we read about in Romans 3? In Romans 3, verse 23, 4, help me out, all have sinned. How many? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, I want you to see for all of sin, there's really two kinds of sins. There's external sins, right? We could steal, lie, and not obey our parents, all right? And some people, their sins are external, but other people's sins are internal, right? There's pride and there's self-righteousness. But listen, whether our sins are external or internal, the one thing we all have in common is we have all sinned. And because we've all sinned, we're all guilty. And because we're all guilty, we're helpless to save ourselves. And because we've sinned against a God who's just, we're in big trouble. And he says what we deserve for what we have done is hell. That's the bad news of the gospel. We've all sinned. We're guilty, helpless, and in trouble. Here's the good news. What Jesus has done for us, D-O-N-E, not what we do, but what he's done for us, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. The good news is that Jesus saves. Listen, the good news is salvation is a gift. It's by grace. You see, God the Son put on flesh and came to earth to seek and save sinners. That's the message of the Bible whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith, that Jesus lived a perfect life, went to the cross, and died to pay the penalty for our sins. This was to demonstrate his righteousness, because in the forbearance of God he passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time, so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. God is so gracious that every time someone sins, he does not strike them dead. But on the cross, God declares this is what every sin deserves. What Jesus experienced on the cross is what we deserve. God declares that he's just and every sin ever done will be punished either in Christ once and for all or in us in hell forever. God declares he's just. But God also declares he's the justifier. Jesus says, I'll take your place. I'll bear your sins. I'll take the penalty your sins deserve. So our sins placed on Jesus. He died in our place. He really did die. But the third day he rose from the grave. And when Jesus rose from the grave, he proved that he really had conquered sin and death. And he offers to us eternal life. He offers to forgive us our sins. He offers to give us his righteousness. He offers to move in us and give us the desire and the power to follow after him. He, he offers us the chance to do life and eternity with him. And what does he require of us? To try really, really hard? No, he's just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. He asks of us faith, saving faith. Where then is boasting? If it is excluded by what kind of law of works? No, but by a law of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Listen, we are saved by faith and we contribute nothing. But, but what kind of faith? What is this saving faith? 
Saving faith really is as simple as A and B and C. It starts when we admit, Jesus, I've sinned against you and I'm sorry. And listen, if you've never done that, won't you do that now? Or if you'd like help, I'll be glad to help you as we close in prayer. But it starts when we admit, Jesus, I've sinned against you and I'm sorry. And then we believe, Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins and rose. And then we commit, we trust him and not us. Jesus, I want you to be my savior. Come in and forgive me and give me eternal life, won't you? And it's to say, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. Listen, from this day forward, as you give me strength, I'll follow you. We commit, won't you? Admit, believe, and commit. And if you have, did you hear what that says? We're justified by faith apart from the works of the law. We get it all. The moment we believed, we're forgiven. All of our sins. We're given His righteousness. Jesus moves into us to live His life in and through us. We get to do life and eternity with Him. And when Jesus moves in, you know what He says? He says, follow me. He says, follow me. That's how the gospel frees us to follow Jesus. So as Jesus says, follow me... There are two cliffs that we need to avoid. Have you noticed there's always two cliffs? So you, so Jesus has moved in. And he says, follow me. So one cliff that we need to avoid is license. I'm sure I misspelled it, but anyway, license. And then the opposite cliff is legalism. So Jesus calls us to to follow him, and so we're going to see how the gospel frees us to follow Jesus and to avoid both the cliff of license and of legalism. And you say, well, what is license? Haven't you ever shared the gospel with someone and they're saying, so you're saying, if I believe in Jesus that I'm forgiven of all my sins, right? And all of them past, present, you mean I can just keep on sinning? That's license. And then legalism is the person who's always saying, I've got to do this and I've got to do this. They think that they can make themselves more beautiful to God by being a really, really good Christian. Legalism to me is people think that Jesus has made the down payment but it's up to them to keep up the monthly payments. So how does the gospel free us to follow Jesus and avoid license and legalism? Um, When I'm speaking with someone about license, I say, you don't need Jesus to sin. I mean, you're free to sin all you want without Jesus, aren't you? I mean, aren't they? They don't need Jesus to sin, do they? And then I say, well, what's a Christian, right? What's a Christian? A Christian is someone who's admitted, right? I've sinned against God and I'm sorry. A Christian is someone who believes. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sins. A Christian is someone who's committed to trust Jesus as Savior, forgive me, eternal life. And Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life. From this day forward, I want to follow you. How can we trust Christ and live in license? Listen, when Jesus moves into us, he never leaves us where we were. He gives us the desire and power to follow him. When I'm talking with someone here, I'll say, listen, if you don't want to do 
life with Jesus, why in the world would you want to do eternity with him? I mean, if you think Jesus wants to make you miserable now, why would you want to spend eternity with him? And the reverse of that, if you want to spend eternity with Jesus, if you think that's going to be great, why in the world wouldn't you want to follow him now? Uh, that's how the gospel frees us from license. Well, well, what about legalism? How do I free someone from, from legalism? <laughs> um, I, I say, when Jesus died, he said, it's finished. I said, can, can you imagine me going to Paris and going to the Louvre and seeing the Mona Lisa and thinking, Leonardo da Vinci did a pretty good job, but I can make it better. So I take my paints and I go up and I add to what Leonardo da Vinci did. Do you think that would be an improvement? You guys there, that would be terrible. Who are you to add to that masterpiece, right? Who are we when Jesus said it's finished to ever imagine that we could do anything to make ourselves more beautiful to God than we already are because of what Christ has done for me? And the legalist would say, well, smiling, don't you want to be a good Christian? To which I would say, well, are there really good and bad Christians? No, no, I don't want to be a good Christian. But I want to be a thankful Christian. I want to be a get-to Christian. I can't believe that Jesus knows me and I get to follow him. Don't you? You know what? I long to be a Christian who loves Jesus, don't you? Who wants to follow him because he first loved me. Oh, I read in John, in John chapter 8, this is what I want to be. So if the Son makes you free, you'll be free indeed. Man, I want the gospel to, to free me to follow Jesus, don't you? Oh, or listen to this in, in Galatians in Galatians 5, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Listen, if Jesus has freed you, don't fall back into sin or into license. Don't become uh, a slave here and don't become a slave of legalism. Do this and do this and do this. Enjoy. Enjoy your freedom. So I've talked for a long time and we've learned We've learned that the gospel sets us free. The gospel sets us free from license and legalism so we can follow Jesus. So our assignment this week is to, is to follow Jesus. Listen, we get to. We get to follow Jesus. What does that look like in my life? Listen, I begin each day with Jesus. I know you won't believe this. But Jesus knows my name. Did you know that? And every morning when I go up, he has the coffee made, and he says, let's have breakfast together. You do know my favorite verse, right? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and will dine with him and he with me. How in the world could I be in such a hurry that when Jesus is sitting there wanting to have breakfast with me, I rush by him and say I'm too busy. Are you kidding me? Every morning, 
I get to have breakfast with Jesus. And when I spend time with him, I realize how much he loves me and how much I love him and how beautiful he is. And what I say is, I want to follow you, don't you? It'll change your life to have breakfast with Jesus. That's how I begin the day. And then I, and then I seek to follow him during the day. Well, Smiley, do you always follow Jesus? Well, I do, except when I don't. Isn't that true of you? I mean, I, I want to, but sometimes I don't. So I'm continually repenting. I'm continually repenting and saying, Jesus, you lead, I follow. You're wiser than me. Help me. Holy Spirit, help me. <laughs> you know what the Holy Spirit loves to whisper in my ear? Uh, Smiley, Jesus is wiser than you. Follow him. Jesus knows the path to happiness better than you do. Follow him. And, you know, that's really good advice, isn't it? Listen, that's really good for me. But it's also, it's how I can help others too. I, I want to go and share with others what I learned. Don't you want to share what we're learning today? Maybe you know someone who's a Christian who's really struggling with license. You know, like I know this person and, and, and they want to leave their spouse so they can be happy. How effective is it, do you think, when I tell them, don't do that, it's wrong? How effective do you think that is? You guys there? Not very effective, right? You know what I love to tell you? Who's wiser? You or Jesus. See, I think in our heads, we really do think we're wiser than Jesus. But, it, but when we say it out loud, we realize it's not true. To say to someone, who knows the path to happiness better, you or Jesus? So you really think you know the path better than Jesus? And it's really hard for people to say that, right? Listen, I want to help people free from license, right? But also with legalism, I know so many Christians and they're so miserable because I'm not a good Christian. I don't do enough. I love to set them free. Listen, you're loved. You'll never be more loved than you are right now. Jesus did it all so you could have it all. And do you know what? It's, as we share Christ uh, with lost people, they really follow into the same categories. You have what I would call sinners. Probably misspell that too. And then you have religious people. And uh, we know people and they're trapped in their sins, right? And we know other people that are religious. They think they don't need a Savior, right? But we get to go and share with them the gospel, right? The gospel frees us from sin, forgives us, sets us free. For sinners, it's good news. And listen, the gospel is really good news for religious people. You're trying so hard for something Jesus wants to give you as a gift. Ah, and do you know how I end the day? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for inviting me to do life with you. I am so thankful. Jesus, you're the best letter, leader ever. You went first, and you went farthest, and you invite me to follow you Thank you. I can't believe we get to do this together. Oh, the gospel frees us. It frees us. Are you a Christian? We're loved. Even if we do a belly flop, Jesus is crazy in love with us. He's moved into us. He invites us to follow me. Who wouldn't want to follow Jesus? You know what I can't believe? <laughs> I can't believe we get to do this. Let's pray.
Jesus, thank you for coming to to save sinners like me, for living that life and dying on the cross in our place and rising again and offering us eternal life. Oh, if you've never received eternal life, won't you? Won't you just tell Jesus, Jesus, I've sinned against you and I'm sorry. I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose. I want you to come in and, and be my Savior and forgive me and give me eternal life. I want you to be Lord of my life. Help me be the person you want me to be. If you've done that, won't you tell someone or mark it on your card? We'd love to celebrate with you. And Jesus, I pray for those of us who've believed in you that we would remember how loved we are, how you've given us your righteousness, how you've moved into us to live your life in and through us, and how you invite us to follow you. Listen, we can't believe that we get to follow you. Lord, in the morning, may we hear you calling us to breakfast, and may we spend time with you. And as we see how beautiful you are, Lord, may we seek to follow you this week, and and may we share you with others. And Lord, I pray at the end of every day, we would look back over the day and we would thank you. Lord, thank you. (laughs) We get to do life and eternity with you. Thank you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.